What a Day is brought to you by Ulta Beauty. This AAPI Heritage Month, Ulta Beauty is celebrating the joy of belonging, belonging to a community composed of intricate connections, belonging to our past and our future, to the heritage and birthright that is beauty. Ulta Beauty shines a light on the AAPI community, passing the mic to brand founders and creators to tell their stories centered on heritage, joy, and beauty. They carry AAPI-owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach and Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI-owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty Stores and Ulta.com. It's Tuesday, February 1st. I'm Gideon Resnick. And I'm Josie Duffy Rice. And this is What a Day, the podcast that has no problem with beautiful, famous people announcing they're having a baby together. Yeah, unlike Drake, we're even happy for ASAP Rocky and Rihanna. From Fenty Beauty to Fenty Baby, baby. <laughs> That's the autobiography right there <laughs> of the child, of course. <sighs> on today's show, the FDA fully authorizes the Moderna vaccine, plus an update on the federal hate crime trial of the men who killed Ahmad Arbery. But first, today marks the beginning of Black History Month, my favorite month of the year. So we wanted to focus on the recent attempts to erase part of that history. Yeah, so across the country, conservatives have been actively and aggressively silencing educators' ability to talk honestly about history. Recently, a number of states have passed laws functionally outlawing the discussion of race and white supremacy in schools across the country. These laws, which attempt to prevent the honest discussion of history, contribute to the erasure of marginalized people and their stories. In particular, book bans, which never really went away, are gaining steam. Schools are banning everything from the 1619 Project to Toni Morrison's Beloved to most recently Mouse, Art Spiegelman's graphic novel about his parents' survival of the Holocaust. In fact, hundreds of books are slowly disappearing from school libraries across the country. Recently, efforts have expanded well outside the confines of just school board meetings. Now members of law enforcement and state legislatures are being mobilized in some cases, too. As a recent feature in the New York Times noted, organizations are targeting a wide range of books that parents see listed in various places online, subsequently demanding their removal as part of a broader argument that parents should dictate what is taught to not only their children, but all children. The American Library Association reported that it received 330 reports of book challenges last fall, which it described as a, quote, unprecedented amount. Yeah, and authors of marginalized backgrounds are seeing their works specifically targeted, especially books that tackle issues of race, gender, and sexuality. We wanted to talk to one of those authors, so today we have with us journalist and activist George M. Johnson. They are the author of the book All Boys Aren't Blue, a memoir that has been targeted for removal in at least 14 states, perhaps more by the time this airs, after conservatives deemed it inappropriate for children. In one instance, a school board member in Florida filed a complaint with the sheriff's department about it. George, welcome to What A Day. Thank you for having me today. So your book, All Boys Aren't Blue, it recounts your lived experience growing up as a queer Black person. What was your reaction to finding out that such a personal piece of yours had been banned in several schools? When I found out about the first ban, which was in like Kansas City, I laughed um, because I thought it was funny because the book had already been out for 17 months. And so it was like, you know, if if you were going to attack it, I would have thought it would have got attacked at the height of when the book was out Mm -hmm. and had all the press. But within about four to six weeks, it had got up to eight states. And that's when I finally said something publicly about it. And then that following week was when the first criminal complaint was filed against me and the book uh, in Florida. It's just actually been a pretty wild journey to witness this happening. You know, we've dealt with censorship and things, but I don't think we've ever seen 
this type of authoritarianism come into play around literature uh, in such a fervent and vicious uh, way. Yeah. And what other details were provided about this criminal complaint? Like, Were you given any notice or rationale here of like why this was? I've never heard of that before. Yeah. I mean, between myself, my attorneys, uh, we didn't know that you could file a criminal complaint against a book. That's pretty much uh, how we found out that there was some form of legislation that they were trying to use. Uh, Fortunately, every single time they have tried to file the criminal complaints, they've been thrown out. But yeah, apparently there are obscenity laws and they are trying to sweep our books into being seen as obscene titles that teens should not be allowed to read. Crazy. Unbelievable. So conservatives have been targeting LGBTQ plus books specifically in recent months, but they're also pushing to control what students are taught in the classroom about queerness, right? So for example, in Florida, House Committee just passed a law that would prohibit students and teachers from discussing gender identity and sexual orientation in schools. What do you think is the ultimate goal of these measures to prevent students from engaging with the idea of queerness in schools? We just have to look at what the founding principles in many ways of what the United States has been. It has always been cis- male, uh, heterosexual, and patriarchal. Mm -hmm. So when we get to a place now where we have a population shift happening, uh, where white folks thought they had until 2050 before they would become the minority and are realizing that that 2050 line is starting to creep back into the 2030s. Mm -hmm. And Gen Z is the most diverse population we have ever had in terms of when you look at children demographically across the country who fall into that category. Um, There is a real fear that uh, they are going to lose not just the majority, you know, within the country when it comes to voting, which is why we see they're attacking voting, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not just the majority when it comes to the population, which is why they're attacking Roe v. Wade, Mm -hmm. but also the majority when it comes to how information historically has been fed to us as children that have conditioned us to see white people as authoritative figures who we should see as our savior rather than our oppressor. Mm -hmm. That is really what the nexus of all of this is, is that they are trying to now block Gen Z specifically from becoming the next future leaders who will actually know that there are people who exist outside of them that are not white. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, that's a real fear for them because they got to grow up not having to think about us because Mm -hmm. all the books looked white, all of the teachings were white. Their children are not growing up in that same generation. Mm -hmm. And so that is really what the fear is. It's one of like a purity principle, trying to keep like a purity innocence to white children. Right. And a lot of authors like yourself have been censored, but you've been really vocal about fighting back on all of this. So what has it actually looked like in the past few months? And have you made any discernible progress here? I am blessed that I grew up with a grandmother who didn't take any mess. I would have cursed, but I'm not sure what kind of podcast it is. <laughs> it's okay. Either um, way. It's fine. So when something like this occurs, for me, I just go back to what I've always known, which is I've always been an activist for myself. Anytime something happened to me, I spoke up about it. A lot of other authors don't necessarily operate through their world with an activist lens. I always did. I was a journalist first. Mm. For me, this was uh, part of the plan. Like This was part of my purpose. Um, we've won several of the suits. Um, we've been able to retain the books in several of the libraries. We've lost some, but we've won some too. Um, I've learned that librarians are some of the baddest dopest people Mm -hmm. in the country because they are very, very adamant about what you will not do to their libraries and the books. And teachers who, again, are always the heroes of of most generations. I I think it's a beautiful coalition being built uh, around the censorship. And I'm watching it unfold in real time. And that's really, really dope. Yeah, well, speaking of that coalition, right, there are conservative voices who have been complaining about cancel culture for 
months, years, right? This has been kind of a refrain on the right. I've noticed, and you may have noticed, that a lot of them are silent about this particular issue, censorship of books like this, laws like the one in Florida, this, you know, critical race theory laws. Are you finding any kind of support on the right on principle here? And if not, what do you think about that? (laughs) As much as this is a conservative issue, which clearly it is, I also do take issue with the silence of those who are supposed to be the advocates, right? Mm. So it's like you would expect at least that some liberals and progressives would be just as vocal. Mm. You would expect that historic organizations, right? The NAACP, whether it's HBCUs, whether it's the Divine Nine, because I'm Greek too. I'm not hearing much from them and their thoughts about it either, right? Mm. And sometimes your silence speaks to what you feel too. Mm -hmm. We have one group who's saying the quiet part out loud and another group who may silently believe the part that they're saying out loud, but just not getting involved. Mm. You know, I will say, though, clearly there's been more support from liberals and moderates and progressives than there has been from conservatives to help with the pushback. But I think it could be stronger. Mm -hmm. There are probably a lot of listeners hearing this thinking, first of all, what the hell is going on? (laughs) And second of all, uh, (laughs) maybe thinking they want to support you and other authors who have been faced with these censorship situations. So what can they actually do to make sure that these stories are not getting lost, are not getting taken off of library shelves? There are a couple things that you can do. One, if you are noticing that your school board is one of those school boards that is challenging the book, to say something, Mm -hmm. to send emails, to call with your concerns about them doing this type of censorship. Two, it is important that you actually check because a lot of them are doing this silently Mm -hmm. simply because the press has not been able to pick up on it. A third thing, there are a lot of free libraries. I think the ultimate goal of this is when they take away one access point, we need to create 10 more. Mm -hmm. So like free libraries, uh, making sure that you're donating the books that are being banned to LGBTQ centers and other types of resource centers uh, and groups and places where we know students have the ability to freely frequent. And the fourth thing is buy the books. When they see sales increase of these books, what happens is big retailers then catch on and say, hmm, we can make some money here. Before we let you go, we just wanted to ask about the loss here. What do students in schools lose when they ban books by Black and queer authors like yourself and authors of marginalized backgrounds as a whole, right? How does erasing history, especially these histories, really allow the expansion of the conservative project, but also just allow the expansion of the American project of erasure, which is part and parcel of the history? We lose the truth. The unfounded truth of this country has been told and sold for nearly 500 plus years now. And now we have reached a point where Black storytelling, queer storytelling gets to unravel all of those truths Mm -hmm. and give the other side of that. The second thing we lose is being seen. I grew up and went through high school and was not. I didn't read about myself in books. I read about little white boys mm-hmm. like Colden Hallfield mm-hmm. or Holden Cofield, whatever the hell his <laughs> name was. And I read about indigenous people being called savages right. and having a white teacher explain why that made sense. So we now have a generation of kids who get to open a book, not even just open a book, look at a book cover and see mm-hmm. a, a person of color on it, mm-hmm. see a black face on it, see a black queer face on it, right? Mm-hmm. So what we lose is the empowering of kids who like myself, had to go through a second adolescence because in many ways my first was taken from me. Mm -hmm. When we give these books to them, they have an adolescence now because they know they have precedent. They know that they have legacy. They know that they have ancestors. They know that their story exists. And they get to see people who have the same identifiers as them succeed in this world. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, a lot to think about. Um, thank you so much for all of your time. We really appreciate you joining today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We'll be following George's efforts, but that is the latest for now. We'll be back after some ads. What a day is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She absolutely deserves the best. And that's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, your wife, your auntie, even your granny, okay? Anyone who deserves flowers in your life Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be holiday specific. You get flowers, you're getting flowers, everyone's (laughs) getting flowers. (laughs) Go to books.com and use promo code WAD for 25% off. That is B-O-U-Q-S dot com, promo code WAD, books, promo code WAD. What a Day is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers. They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Plus, Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. We love fast-growing trees here. I keep telling you that the many plants that I've gotten from these folks are yet hanging on. Um, And that's not because I have a green thumb, okay? This spring, fast-growing trees, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code WAD at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code WAD at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code WAD. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Therapy is great for, you know, you know that thing that just is like sitting on your shoulder, you can't get over it, and you just sometimes need somebody to talk through it with? Therapy can be helpful for that, you all, okay? You got to get it off your chest, you know? And you can do that with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash WAD today to get 10% off your first month. That's 10% off your first month at BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash WAD. Let's wrap up with some headlines. Headlines. A judge in Georgia rejected plea agreements in the federal hate crime trial of Gregory and Travis McMichael yesterday. The father and son were already convicted in state court and sentenced to life in prison for murdering Ahmad Arbery. He was a 25-year-old black man who was jogging when the McMichaels and another white man shot and killed him in February of 2020. The plea deal had been negotiated between the McMichaels and the U.S. Department of Justice. In exchange for pleading guilty and admitting that their murder of Arbery was racially motivated, they were set to avert their trial on federal hate crime charges and go to federal prison for 30 years instead of state prison. Arbery's family felt angry and betrayed by this arrangement, though, and it was their objection during a hearing yesterday that motivated the judge to reject the deal. 
Arbery's mom, Wanda Cooper-Jones, told the judge, quote, granting these men their preferred conditions of confinement would defeat me. It gives them one last chance to spit in my face after murdering my son. The judge gave the McMichaels until Friday to decide whether they want to go to trial, which is scheduled for Monday, or to stick with their guilty pleas, which would no longer guarantee them the lighter sentence. If you've had some Moderna swimming around you for the past several months, join me in a hip hip her FD yay. No. (laughs) (laughs) You love it. On Monday, the Food and Drug Administration granted full approval of Moderna's coronavirus vaccine. Hundreds of millions of people have already received the shot under an emergency authorization by the FDA. But now Moderna joins Pfizer-BioNTech's vaccine in being fully licensed for use in the U.S. FDA approval for Pfizer shot still remains a few steps ahead of Moderna. Pending approval, Pfizer shots for children from six months to five years old could be available as soon as the end of the month, which would make it the first vaccine available for that age group. But Moderna has been busy making notable strides in other crucial areas. Last week, Moderna announced the launch of early-stage clinical trials of an HIV mRNA vaccine, employing the same technology used in the company's groundbreaking COVID shot. Moderna is working with the nonprofit International AIDS Vaccine Initiative in developing the vaccine, and the first people participating in the trial have already received their first shots. I was waiting for full approval, and now I will think about uh, getting (laughs) vaccinated, Josie. Oh, man. Let's make sure that people understand that that is not uh, true. That is a joke and a bad one. Please get your vaccine. Okay. Um, Bad news for birds who love to cough. The Biden administration announced that it will ramp up regulation of coal-burning power plants yesterday. It'll do it by bringing back an Obama-era rule that allows it to restrict emissions of mercury, which is a dangerous neurotoxin. The rule comes down from Biden's EPA. It proposes returning to an old method of calculating the benefits of reducing mercury pollution, which allows for a more generous estimate. Under Trump, this Obama-era approach was scrapped and a more narrow way of estimating benefits was used, allowing the administration to conclude that enforcing limits on mercury polluters didn't make sense financially, because that's the best metric for making that decision. Uh, The EPA is expected to start enforcing the renewed rule later this year. It is one small step towards delivering on Biden's clean energy agenda, key elements of which are going nowhere, thanks to Senator Joe Manchin's objections to their inclusion in the Build Back Better bill. While we wait on the clean kind of energy, Biden's making sure that no one runs out of the dirty kind. Yesterday, he met with the emir of Qatar in attempts to ensure that our European allies could import some of that country's natural gas in case a war in Ukraine makes Russian natural gas off limits. After that meeting, Biden said that he would designate Qatar a, quote, major non-NATO ally. The New York Times will soon be in charge of all the five-letter words that are fit to print. (laughs) On Monday, the newspaper announced that it acquired Wordle, the free daily word puzzle created by software engineer Josh Wordle. The acquisition isn't wholly surprising for anyone who sees the browser-based game gain popularity over the past few months, going from 90 users on November 1st of last year to millions of players a day. While it's unclear if Wordle will retain some of its more charming features, notably its no-frills ad-free layout, the New York Times announcement made clear that the game would remain free, for now at least. The paywalled New York Times game section has grown over recent years, home to the digital crossword, as well as newer games like The Spelling Bee, and it's unclear whether the Times will eventually put Wordle behind the paywall as well. But it wouldn't be surprising. Wardle, who initially made the game for his girlfriend to pass time during quarantine, reportedly sold the game for a number in, quote, the low seven figures. 
While you can't blame the guy for passing the game on to bigger, brighter things, today maybe start your Wordle game with price, because it turns out everybody's got one, even the nice puzzle guy. We love you, Josh. Come on the show. Come on the show. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. It's going to be interesting when all of the words are like do that and Stevens <laughs> and other various times authors of note. Oh, um, that's not actually going to happen because those are proper names and that wouldn't make any sense for the game that Josh created, which we all think is quite fun. It's true. And those are the headlines. One more thing before we go. This week on America Dissected, Dr. Abdul El-Sayed talks to NYU law professor and host of the podcast Strict Scrutiny, Melissa Murray, about a recent ruling against workplace vaccine mandates and how that might affect the Supreme Court and the Justice Breyer retirement. New episodes of America Dissected drop every Tuesday. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. That is all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, do a free Wordle, and tell your friends to listen. And if you are into reading and not just the coolest banned books like me, What A Day is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at crooked.com slash subscribe. I'm Josie Duffy Rice. I'm Gideon Resnick. And, and happy, happy Lunar, Lunar New, New Year. Year of the Tiger, baby. That's right. We know what that means. It means the Bengals. Okay. No, sorry. <gasps> oh my God. That's kind of cool. Huh? Huh? What a Day is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Bill Lance. Jazzy Marine and Raven Yamamoto are our associate producers. Our head writer is John Milstein with writing support from Jossie Kaufman. And our executive producers are Leo Duran and me, Gideon Resnick. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware.